Welcome to Reading Between the Reels. I'm Matt Leader. And I'm Craig Dickinson. Today on the show, we are looking at Doctor Strange, the MCU movie uh, with Doctor Strange 2, obviously, is right around the corner. Uh, that will be directed by Sam Raimi, who directed our last film, uh, Army of Darkness. So there's a nice little bridge between the two um, that we'll, I'm sure we'll get to talk about when we see um, Doctor Strange 2. But for right now, Matt, what are your, some of your overall thoughts on Doctor Strange from 2016? So I kind of want to jump like right into it because first I have to say like overall, uh, I I didn't watch Doctor Strange like right off the bat when it was released. Uh, I kind of, there was like this weird lull where I missed a bunch of the Marvel movies because there's so many of them. And so I, I watched this later uh, out on video and I actually really like it. Um, and I'll talk, you know, specifically about why I like it. But I ended up watching it with my wife. Uh, she kind of walked in. It normally I don't like rewatch the you know films for the podcast with her, uh, just you know d- different schedules and things like that. But she kind of walked in, saw us watching Doctor Strange, sat down and watched the film, and she really likes it as well. And so it was fun to kind of watch that with her and uh, rewatch the film again. Um, it's it is a very unique film. And that's what I enjoy most about this. Um, do you have any overall thoughts uh, before I, I kind of jump into the cinematography? Because I'm, I'm ready to go. <laughs> yeah, no, I'll, I'll just keep, keep my conversation brief in the first part, first part there. Um, I, I agree. I think it works really good as a self-contained story. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the things that I, I thought a lot as I walked through this, that um, it kind of falls into some of the trappings of the MCU, especially when it comes to like the quippiness and and almost feels kind of forced to be funny in certain aspects, but I feel like it stands on its own really well. And those things this time on this viewing kind of stood out to me as, okay, this is where they're trying to make it fit this overall series. Um, but I, but I, I really enjoy the movie for, for the most part. I, I did see it when it came out and, and enjoyed it. And I've been a fan of Benedict Cumberbatch for a while. And uh, I visually, it's very interesting. I'm going to just say right now that it borrows heavily from Inception especially when the wide shots um, with the buildings rotating around and, and those kind of things. Um, and I think that it's also a very morally complex movie. I want to talk more about that as we get through. I thought that's another thing that kind of makes it, it's a very kind of grown up movie, which kind of sets it apart. I think from some of the, the lighter MCU fare where it, um, it digs into some deeper themes and that, again, that's kind of one of the reasons why kind of the quippiness stands out to me a little bit, but. Let's go ahead and let's jump into the cinematography. If we're ready, let's do it. So, like, my favorite shot was uh, towards the end when uh, the Ancient One has been stabbed. They bring her to the hospital, and she astral projects, right? And so it's the Ancient One and Doctor Strange, and they're both having this conversation. And, you know, I feel like this this could have been a, a little heavy-handed, but she says the lesson strange is it's not about you. And in that moment, the camera switches perspectives where the camera actually started out behind the two and it like rotates around them. So just as the perspective is changing for Dr. Strange, so too does the camera. And, uh, you know, I, I thought that like, that was my favorite little moment of, of cinematography of like adding meaning through the camera movements and stuff. But overall, like a lot of the camera work was pretty subtle. 
And I was thinking about this where it's like, is, you know, is that good? Is that bad? And in this case, I actually think that it's a positive in the sense that it provides kind of a foundation for the rest of the film. Um, and, and you kind of mentioned that it's a bit more of a grown up, a bit more of a like morally not questionable, but like there's more moral questions within it. Right. And the cinematography does it does itself um, a kind of a service by kind of keeping itself in the background a little bit more by not going over the top in terms of uh, the pure camera movements. Um, it, it serves as kind of a foundation, a baseline, like a, a, a platter to serve the rest of the story. Um, with the exception of the very, very trippy moments, like, you know, sections throughout the film. That's the big exception, right? But for the most part, when you, you're seeing Doctor Strange and stuff, you have your insert shots. You've got the little moment where Strange is, you know, in in his, uh, you know, million dollar apartment and he's trying to figure out how to heal his hands. And it like, there's an insert shot of him stepping on a paper where he was trying to write his name and he can't, right? So there's little moments like that, but it's it's more on the subtle side in terms of the cinematography for me. But I thought that it did well in service of the overall film in terms of some of its ideas and the craziness of the other world, right? That, that uh, Dr. Strange inhabits. It, it, to me, that was better. And it reminds me of kind of the orchestral music in Star Wars being this kind of grounding factor for the film. And in that sense, I felt like the cinematography kind of being in the background served as more grounding element for this very strange elements throughout the rest of the movie. Yeah, I like that. I think that uh, I could connect to that with the, there's a lot of wide shots just for kind of establishing shots, kind of like to let things unfold. So the camera is not doing anything super interesting other than just kind of paying out and letting the effects take center stage, you know, kind of just let it, let it go. But there are some, some exceptions. Like, like you said, you know, there's the scene where the first time he kind of goes through all the dimensions when uh, he meets the ancient one and it's kind of elastic, how it's kind of moving back and forth. And you've got that kind of rainbow color that it brings those out. And so those moments like that become that much more, uh, more obvious to kind of pull out, and they're more powerful. I think they're you know just because the baseline is is pretty is pretty standard. Uh, but there was a couple of ones that I really liked that jumped out because they were unique. Uh, one of which uh, is fairly early in the film when he uh, is wheeled into the hospital. There's a nice first person look at his hands, and I've always thought that was just a great choice that you really brought into. Uh, into Strange's world, you feel what he's what he's looking at, you know, and it brings up this really interesting thing about the irony of the fact that he could have, if it was somebody else's hands, he probably would have been able to to fix those. Like he's the only one that could have fixed his own hands uh, with that. There's also some great shaky cam in a couple different places, not used a ton, but I think um, one of the, my favorite instances is where. Uh, he's having the conversation, the last conversation before he goes off to Camartage in his apartment, he's talking to, to Palmer, to Christine, and it's very shaky. And it kind of feels to me like, you know, there's relationship that they have is very on, much on thin ice and that it's rocky. And so the camera's kind of rocky for that too. That's just kind of the way I read that. Cause it could have very easily just been on a tripod or what have you, but they, you know, it's, it feels rough and the conversation is very rough. And so I thought that was kind of a cool thing. You also have that uh, another instance of shaking cam is when he 
uh, Strange enters the hospital after he's being stabbed, goes through that portal, and he's, the camera, the, uh, the camera kind of slides back and forth as he kind of slides back and forth, and it's shaky because he's stumbling around being hurt. And so just kind of those added, those little empathetic moments, um, I think, are much more powerful uh, because of, like you said, like the baseline. For me also, like thinking about some of the color of the film, um, and I'm, I'll actually start out by asking you, um, what do you think, you know, we've both watched quite a few of the MCU movies. What do you think like of the, the cinematography as far as like the color palette in like the MCU in general and this movie in, in, uh, in particular, I've heard people say that it's very muted, very kind of, uh, desaturated, maybe not to the level of like Zack Snyder or something, but it's very kind of plain as far as color is concerned. Yeah, I think that's true for the most part. Um, other than when you get into Camaraj, I think there's there's some key differences when we get the music. I'll talk about this too. Um, that happened. That the movie is is kind of in multiple parts. It's like the, it's almost like a prologue when he's you know uh, before he's in the in the car accident. But I really noticed that like the soft golden lighting when he was in Camaraj. There's kind of like that natural light coming in from the ceiling, and that stood out to me. Most likely because the rest of the film is is fairly it's fairly muted color wise. It's desaturated, like you said. You know that, and then of course the rainbow of colors. These things are extra, extra. Like we've we've taken it back farther below normal, and then we've kind of amped it up when you really need to be paying attention. Uh, and then of course you also have kind of that gold color around the magic, um, which goes back to that one, you know, that video we used to show, and I think it's still in in some of our resources of you know gold in Disney, like the golden lamp, and you know Rapunzel's golden hair, and all these things where gold is in, in Disney movies is very frequently associated with magic. So that's kind of a, just a fun through line there. Yeah, and I, and I would agree with that. I think that this film in particular, like the the strange moments when uh, he he drinks the tea, right, and he kind of goes off into this weird projection out into the dark dimensions and stuff. Super colorful, super interesting color-wise. There are tons of color, right? And, um, you know, the golden circles that they do, uh, the golden weapons and stuff for, you know, the magic. All of that is very colorful. And then the rest of the world is so just just ordinary. You know, it's just plain. And again, I think that is, in this particular film, serving a little bit more of a purpose in that sense of delineating between the normal world and the weird, the the strange, you know, the wonderful. And so I just, you know, those two little things right there. For me, I um, forced my wife to watch all the MCU movies, like all in order, like over the course of like a month. And it was like a breath of fresh air to get some of the more interesting color palettes uh, with Doctor Strange, with Guardians of the Galaxy. And I think Marvel did start to shift just a little bit, you know, nudge that way towards allowing more color, more vibrant uh, colors in their movies. And this is definitely an example of of both the muted and the vibrant. Yeah, it's interesting that you that you mentioned Guardians again. You know that um, Ben Davis, who did cinematography for this film, also did for Guardians and um, did for Age of Ultron, which is still pretty muted. Uh, Captain Marvel, and he also did the Eternals. And the Eternals, although I don't like the movie, I think it's very long and very boring. I think it's beautiful, um, partly because of how well it's shot in the color and 
and things like that. So it's interesting that you kind of, you bring that up and you kind of just instinctively know, Hey, this is refreshing and I like this work. And then you go to find out, Hey, actually <laughs> there's a reason that we have these through lines. Um, and that's always fun to kind of find those, those similarities there. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the, um, the magic, um, the rings and, and the weapons and stuff that comes out in the sound with that, if I could transition down to there a little bit and just, I love that it kind of sounds like a sizzle, like it feels very powerful, but also kind of tenuous. Like it's going to, it could go out at any moment. Like it's cause it's, it's pulling, you know, where it's explained that it's being pulled from another dimension. And so it's not anything permanent. You have to, there's a lot of effort that keeps it, keeps it going. And that kind of reminds me a little bit of like keeping a fire going. Um, and so I thought that was kind of a cool, uh, cool connection there. Cause kind of like instinctively we know, yeah, this is not, you know, it's not permanent. Yeah. I love that. Uh, that's not something I had, uh, you know, registered or thought about, but I do like that analysis of it being kind of tenuous. It's also just very distinctive. Y you kind of tell immediately, oh, someone's using magic. Uh, and I think there's a couple moments throughout the film where you kind of hear this shuffling noise, magic noise. You just hear magic sounds uh, when they're in uh, the New York sanctum. And they're like, oh, people are coming back. And it's like you can kind of register that, uh, you know, and associate it with the sound. Um, I'm kind of curious what you thought about the the music because I quite liked it, and the overriding feeling that I got with it, uh, with with the instrumental music, I should say, is um, it just struck me as like Sherlock Holmes, uh, this kind of Holmesian, cozy British. There's this air of, and some of the uh, set design also uh, enforces this for, with for, uh, for me. Um, this kind of museum, dusty museum, um, and, which is kind of an interesting feeling. Like it's not not something I expected going into the film the first time I watched it. Yeah, that's a good catch, and, and of course, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch is Sherlock, so you had some kind of weird that kind of fits with that as well. But yeah, the, like the harpsichord um, instrumentation is very. European, it's like 16th, 17th century European. It definitely feels that. And so it's ancient, but like, you know, it's almost like we should be hearing Asian ancient music, right? But we hear this. And so, uh, but it fits. It, it totally fits. It does feel familiar and yet bizarre at the same time. And it's incredibly distinctive. I think now you get to hear like that light motif a little bit, like in, in No Way Home, for instance. And you're like, oh, Dr. Strange is here. Okay, cool. I'm right back there. And so great theme. I mean, it's, it's Michael Giacchino again, who's done tons of MCU and tons of other stuff as well. A um, couple films we've done, of course, Jojo Rabbit, for instance. Uh, and I think, I think it's great. I, I really like the theme. I think it's a very strong theme, a very memorable theme. It's interesting how it also mixes in some electric guitar at certain points. And so you have this weird mix of ancient and modern together. Um, but the thing that I thought was really interesting is how again when we talked about the the color difference happening between different places and there's kind of a break in in the movie there's also a break with the music because like one of the first things we have uh in the film first time we meet strange is we hear earth wind and fire playing shining star which it's fun also that it's earth wind and fire elements i think that's kind of a fun thing but it's also about you know it's kind of a cocky song. It's a song about how great somebody is, and I'm thinking about this is how Doctor Strange perceives himself. Of course, he loves this song, uh, you know, and he's doing like this trivia thing, right? When he's while he's doing surgery, because he's so amazing at doing surgery, he can 
really not be focusing on it. You know, he's, he's doing multiple things at the same time. And then we also get Phil so good by Chuck Mangione. And after the accident, there's no pop music. So you very much have like this, this pop music thing is very much part of that Stephen Strange's persona. Right. And after the accident that that's gone, there isn't any more throughout the rest of the film. I just thought that was kind of a, I, that was one thing I'd never noticed before, but I was like, I wonder if this is going to be a thing. And then as I tracked it through, I was like, yep, that's what he did with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, that that's a great catch. That's not something I noticed. Um, cause using pop music is pretty common like in a lot of popular movies so it's that that's something that i missed that kind of went over my head but now that you know like thinking back as you were talking i don't remember any pop songs after his accident i think i think there's it's, it's all instrumental after that which also kind of fits like you were saying with his like evolution into the superhero I just thought that was kind of a fun, fun little Easter egg, if you will. Uh, anything else on sound before we drop down to performance? No, um, but I did think the performances uh, were overall very good. The only thing that I felt was kind of weak was some of the um, the some of the makeup um, from uh, the, the the bad guy, Mads Mikkelsen. I can't even yeah. remember his name. Caecilius. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Caecilius. The, the eye makeup. Yeah. It, it, it just didn't work for me. Like, <laughs> I get what they were going for and I, you know, like the little scar on their forehead, that looked fine. But for whatever mm -hmm. reason, the eye stuff, it, it just, it looked like, they looked like raccoons. Like, and <laughs> yeah. with, with like a glitter bomb, like glitter bomb raccoons. And I, I could yeah. not, take it seriously and i thought the acting was fine you know i thought mads mickelson was was uh, just fine i don't think he was given uh, as much as he has shown in some other roles you know um i don't think the script gives him a ton to work with but i think he does he he hits his comedy beats in my opinion uh the whole mr doctor exchange i thought was pretty funny yeah see that's that's funny thing that yeah. that that works for me because right. that's just that's a moment of levity that doesn't feel forced. Yeah. Because it is silly that his name is, you know, strange. strange. And so you get to be like, it's strange. Yes. Like, who am I to judge? That's brilliant. <laughs> but, but it's also, that. just just throwing this, it's also set up really well. Because he, he yeah. says like, you know, they say Mr. Actually, it's Doctor, right? So the joke is yeah. even set up with other people. So it's like a really well-constructed and set up joke, which I appreciate. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. There's, I think there's a lot of great setup and payoff in this film in lots of mm -hmm. different ways uh, with the foreshadowing about um, Dormammu being outside of time where that's mentioned as part of the dialogue, you know, and then you, oh, this is what he's doing. He, le he learned something. You know, actually learns quite a bit throughout this film, but I just thought that was kind of a cool payoff. It doesn't come out of nowhere. It, it's very much a, a payoff for that. That eye makeup too. I do remember that being much more scary the first time I saw it and being concerned about I'd little kids. Like, I don't know if my daughter can handle this. And now I'm looking at it going, that's, that's cheesy. That didn't hold, didn't hold up for me. So I, I agree uh, with that. I do think one thing that's cool, though, is um, the, the facial hair, how it evolves for, for Strange, how he's clean shaven at the beginning. And he kind of has a scraggly beard, and then he has this well-trimmed goatee, which now we know he has a template to do from No Way Home. Thanks for that. That's fun. 
Um, and that's just kind of, he's evolving, right? So you have this very outward physical representation of how strange, because he, you know, he's a totally different character in all three of those phases. Yeah. And, you know, like going through the list of, of actors and the characters and stuff, everyone does a pretty good job. Uh, I, I, I actually quite like Rachel McAdams, Rachel McAdams as the, the love interest. I don't think there's a lot there, right? It's very, very second fiddle, but it does like weave into uh, Dr. Strange's arc, right? Uh, moving on beyond, beyond himself. Um, the ancient one's lesson, it's not about you. He does start to take that to heart. And you see that through his interactions with uh, Christine Palmer, the, the other doctor who he's in love with. So it's like, even though that's very second fiddle, you know, I think the acting is fine and it does all kind of push towards that thematic arc that Strange is going through, which I enjoyed. Um, I think the standout for me is the ancient one, uh, Tilda Swinton. I, I think she's fantastic. I think she does a great job at playing the kind of mysterious but friendly, but dangerous, you know, mentor uh, for Stephen Strange. What do you think? Yeah, I, I've always liked Tilda Swinton. I thought she was great in in Constantine, for instance. Uh, she plays uh, Gabriel, I think, in that. And uh, and she's good in Chronicles and Narnia movies as well. I've seen her in some other things too, but she's. I think she's great in this. I, unlike some people, I don't have any problem with the casting on this. I, I like what they did. I know Kevin Feige has since walked back what they did then you're know, trying to get away from asian stereotypes or what have you and so they went a completely other way and i think that's fine i think having the whole idea of you know a sorcerer supreme not being you know, being something that can rotate out right she doesn't have to be the only one that was the ancient one there could be multiple ancient ones throughout this um yeah i think she's she's fantastic i think she's supremely confident for most of the movie um and again one thing that i noticed because I was like, this is who this character is, that was different from that, a kind of a departure, was um, when she sends Strange to uh, Mount Everest. And when they're both waiting, when her and Mordo are waiting for him to come back, there is a shot close up of her hands where she's kind of fiddling with the fan. And like, this is like the only moment where you kind of get to see the crack show a little bit. And I was just like, what a great shot to just give us this tiny little character beat that, you know, she does have a little bit of worry here. She's not, you know, she, she's supremely confident on the outside, but she's like, yeah, maybe I did screw up. Like yeah. sending him over there. Well, and, and I also think that she also hits the deep emotional beat pretty cool, pretty well right at the end where, you know, she's yeah. talking to uh, Stephen Strange in the astral projection. And she says something to the effect of, you know, I've had a, a you know, hundreds of years or whatever she says, and yet I'm stretching out this one moment into thousands of moments just so I can watch a little bit more snow. And it's like, man, that, yeah, that's kind of sad. So yeah, it's like it's melancholy there. Yeah. So it, she does a good job of hitting the highs and lows as far as like the confidence you see in her, but also the, the vulnerability. And I think that's, that's really good acting range to be able to hit those in the same film. Yeah, and I'm just going to pull out one of her quotes. There's there's so many, there's a lot of good lines. And I don't know if it's quotable, like I'd use it all the time. And we've talked about this before, what makes a good quote? But I think it's profound when she says, we never lose our demons, we only learn to live above them. Yeah. And she says it to Mordo, but it's also, when we get 
the secret of, you know, how that she's been pulling her, her magic from the dark dimension that she's also kind of talking about herself there. She's giving you a little bit of a reveal of her own personal struggle. So, yeah. Um, and like, I've already mentioned this line, but she says, um, arrogance and fear will keep you from learning the simplest and most significant lesson of all. And, uh, strange says, which is the ancient one says, it's not about you. And to me, that's, that feels like something quite on Jin could say. Like, yeah, <laughs> like it's it, but it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I also feel like it resonated a little bit with me and I'm sure with you, uh, we teach eighth graders and I feel like more than one eighth grader could, could learn this lesson, you know, and, and, and that's, that's true of all children. I think all children are a little self-centered, not, uh, in, in necessarily a, a bad way, but that's how humans are like they're self-centered when they're little and as they grow older they become more outward facing and that's a lesson that strange never learned you know he, he made it to a grown adult without learning that lesson yeah well he's not the only one there's there's lots of us <laughs> myself included that could could stand Both to be of us. a little bit less self-involved and, and less you know navel gazing so I, um, I got i got one more for you go for it which is uh, Dormammu, I've come to bargain. Which this is this is why I like love the film is like I, I kind of mentioned this where um, you know the story itself, the cinematography is is kind of simple. Like it's not a complicated film really, and I do think it's a little heavy handed in some ways. Like Strange, Strange is a jerk. Like in the beginning of the film, like all like really bad, <laughs> really yes. bad, right? But like ultimately, it's in the service of telling a very weird story, but also one that has a, a very big arc for the character. So like, like that, that's fine. I think the weakest part of the film is actually kind of the first third because it's just kind of heavy-handed and, and straightforward. The last third is fantastic, especially with Dormammu. I love creative endings to stories. And this very easily could have just been a karate magic fight in the streets of Hong Kong. And that's the end of the film. You know, they rewind time and they fight. Uh, uh, I can't even sit, remember this, his name, Mads Mikkelsen. Casilius. Casilius, yeah. right? Yeah. On the streets of Hong Kong, they defeat them, avoid Dormammu. I love the fact that when they rewind time, like it, it doesn't, it doesn't end up working out. You know, the shadow dimension, Dormammu, that he ends up seeping through, and so Strange has to do something crazy, and he defeats Dormammu by basically just being patient. And it's like that is so cool. That's so creative. You know, just over and over again, and this kind of philosophical argument because really that's that's kind of what it is it's not karate it's not magic even though it's involved it's basically like as long as you keep trying to kill me we are in an infinite time loop you're my prisoner until i let you go and it's like that's 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 crazy that is not something i expected so that right there is is one of honestly it's it's my favorite ending to any mcu film is is the big bad the big villain it's the most creative in my opinion it's the most interesting 
it's the most unexpected and it totally works. Like it makes sense, but it's not something I would have ever come up with. So I absolutely adore the ending to the film. Yeah, and that's a great call. I mean, it goes back to our whole thing about the myth of redemptive violence too, right? He doesn't defeat him by destroying him. He outsmarts him. He uses his mind to do it. And it goes back to some of the lessons the ancient one had taught him too. And even mentioning about, you know, Jonathan Pangborn, he didn't, he, just, he believes that he can walk, therefore he can. You know, it's the power of your mind is what is the, the thing you're supposed to get. Not the, not the weapons, not the moves you're making, not even, you know, the hand gestures. It's what your, it's your power of belief and being able to figure things out. Um, which is great. I mean, I one of the lessons of this movie too is that hard work pays off, which I love that, you know, like study and hard work pays off. So as a teacher, um, you're hearing that repeatedly, he's like, well, how did you do this? Well, I, you know, I have a, you know, I have a photographic memory. So I, I studied hard work and all this stuff. So um, lots of, you know, props for the brain, for brain power in this movie versus, you know, the brawn. So definitely a different, uh, different way to go. And yeah, I love that any too. Again, it's unexpected, but it also is a payoff from things we've mentioned earlier. And so that's, that's cool. Um, I did want to mention the hand gestures just real fast. Um, I did say it just earlier, but just, and there's another way to conjure magic. There's no, there's not spells that are said in this, which is kind of interesting. Um, kind of opposite of the, like the Harry Potter approach. So um, a good, a smart way to kind of differentiate um, their portrayal of magic in this one. I mean, so um set setting design uh you know i will throw in there that i feel like this has some you know eastern influences uh they travel to is it katmandu um where carmitage is um yeah like the bob seger song <laughs> and so you know i i appreciate that you know some of the costumes are clearly inspired by by the uh, eastern cultures and stuff I, I think that's kind of a cool, again, refreshing. It's different uh, for the MCU. We get some different kind of um, some influences on the movie. So I really enjoyed that aspect. Um, I did enjoy the weaving of the Eastern influences into the MCU. Um, and I feel like that's that happens with like Thor and Asgard. Like those aren't the, you know, 100% viking myths or whatever right but they've kind of taken those and used them as inspiration to tell an mcu story and that's kind of what i see going on here which i think is very fun so i appreciated the the costuming uh some of the settings that they go to uh the designs i think are all kind of different and and weird in a wonderful way so uh you know overall i i appreciate that just coming from a different perspective and, and that's kind of a theme for this film for me is like, it's on one level, it's straightforward and simple, but on another level, it's also different and refreshing. <laughs> I like that. Some, uh, some specifics um, with set decoration that I noticed this time was the difference between Strange's apartment and the operating rooms. Whereas the operating rooms are just jam-packed with all of this fancy top-of-the-line equipment. It's super crowded in there. And you get this to Strange's apartment, and there's hardly anything in it. And you really see this in the, the scene where he's talking to Christine. But there's also the scene where he, he tries to write his name. It's a, there's a couple of different, different shots. 
it's like he has no personal life at all. There's no mementos. He has hardly any furniture. It's just empty. It's a little on the nose, maybe a lot on the nose, that he has no personal life. He has, there's nothing for him there. He's at work. That's who he is. When he's at home, he wants to be back at work. So I just thought that was kind of a cool, minimalist choice to do with his, his apartment. I didn't notice at first, but you know, the operating rooms, of course, that's what, that, that's what they look like. Right, it's going to be a busy place full of stuff. But you get this apartment; like he's incredibly wealthy, but you wouldn't be able to really tell other than just from the fact of the size of the room. But it's you can't fill it with anything, except for fancy watches and nice cars. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, no, that's a great uh, point. I I did not notice that. So if it if it is on the nose, I don't know what that says about me, but that, that, that is a good point. <laughs> It's, it's rewatches, man. It's, this is all multiple times seeing the film and trying desperately to find new things um, to keep myself interested. Um, I do also really like how the sanctums, especially we don't really only get to see the New York one, um, is very much like a museum mm-hmm. with all the relics kind of in a glass case, which is, isn't super practical, um, but it makes for a great action scene. So Strange can get thrown through them and then you get let out the uh, cloak of levitation, which is essentially another character, which is kind of fun how they play that. Yeah, and uh, he's hilarious. My wife loves slapstick comedy, and the cape is all about the slapstick. Yeah, pulls him back from. I like that. That's funny. That I like that too. When he's trying to get to the axe or whatever to fight Cassilius, and it's pulling him backwards toward the the thing that's going to restrain him. The uh, wiping the tears that might be a little bit too far for me, but um, I don't know. I probably laughed the first time I saw it. Again, a lot of this stuff, I think I laughed and now I'm like, eh, that's kind of lame. Doesn't hold up. Uh, we got magic books again. I don't know if the Necronomicon's in there, but we did get magic books. Um, that watch from Christine is very important. We see that even at the end. Um, that's kind of interesting. The sling ring, that's kind of a fun little thing. All the magical relics. And of course, the Eye of Agamotto, which they incorporate the, uh, the time stone this way to tie it directly into the Infinity Saga, which is I remember that being kind of, oh, that's kind of a cool thing. Oh, this is where we're going. This is why this is this big. Because we knew there was going to be six stones and we're like, one of them's going to have to show up in this film because Infinity War is coming. And it's a nice, you know, nice way of kind of sliding that in. Because yeah. you don't need to know anything about the, the Infinity Stones to watch the film. It all makes kind of sense in itself. Right. It's called the Time Stone and he did time travel things with it. So, right. you know, you don't, that's all you need to know. That works good. Um, as far as hero's journey goes, and you know, you mentioned like the first third of the film is kind of flat, and that's kind of where before we kind of get our call to adventure. That I guess that's kind of the way that has to go, just so you have, you know, the high drama in the middle and at the end. Um, some so so some classic tropes of of hero's journey there. Um, I what I think is interesting though is that he's arrogant and selfish at the beginning, and he's still arrogant at the end. <laughs> So, which is, it's kind of cool. He's not completely transformed. He still has a lot of his personality. I could, again, I could do a little bit less with the try me Beyonce, that, that stuff. That's, that grates a little bit, but um, I like that. He's still, he's, he's selfless now. Like he, he has a purpose and he's trying to be a good guy. And he talks about that with Christine, but he hasn't completely transformed. And to me, that feels, uh, that feels more authentic, right? Yeah. Where it's like, he's not a completely different person. He's still himself, just a better version of it. 
Yeah, I like that. Uh, I think it's interesting that you have Caecilius as kind of a foil. That's mentioned a couple of times where, you know, the ancient one mentions he doesn't want to lose another gifted student. And so you kind of have this, hey, here's, here's where he could go, right? You can see why she's hesitant with him because she doesn't want him to fall down the same path as Caecilius. And then you also have kind of Mordo's villain journey in this one, kind of parallel things where, you know, he becomes very disillusioned through this, through this film. And I find myself, as, as I watch it going, like, is he really that wrong though? I mean, he was fully betrayed by the ancient one. And, you know, it does, the debt always does come due. So what do you, what do you think about Mordo and his, uh, his philosophy on life? You know, it, he reminds me of um, the differences between Javert and Jean Valjean in uh, Les Mis. Are you familiar with the story at all? A little bit. Okay. So uh, Javert is the kind of police officer, and he has this very, very rigid view of justice. Uh, justice being, you know, someone gets what they're due, right? So if you do good things, good things happen to you. That's justice. You get what's due. Um, Jean Valjean is also justice, but it's a flexible justice uh, that has uh, allowance for mercy. Uh, mercy being getting uh, po- a positive thing when you aren't deserving of it. So you commit a crime, someone forgives you, they move on. That's not what you deserve. You deserve punishment for it, right? You did the crime, you do the time, uh, but they grant you mercy. And so for uh, Stephen Strange, and I think to an extent, the ancient one are more on that flexible side of things where they see justice as both, you know, as both mercy and consequence. You have a little bit of both. You have light and dark. And uh, there has to be some flexibility in this. And for Mardo, it's inflexible. He's Javert. He is, this is the only way. It has to be this way. He sees the world in black and white, but that's not the real world. The real world isn't black and white you know it's shades of gray and so ultimately that's kind of what does him in is like you said disillusioned his his conception of the world is completely shattered because he put all of his faith in a black and white version of the ancient one that was never true to begin with he's so rigid that he breaks he's not able to be flexible in that new revelation that's great i love that yeah and so he's he's kind of sympathetic in a way, and and I really I think that you know he's gonna obviously going to be in the next film as as a villain, and he he's a he's a villain by the end of this movie. We even see like in the the end credit scene that he's you know taking guys' power and being really cruel, but it feels like a very organic characterization of of a villain that you're like yeah I I can see why he would do that. So I really appreciate the fact that they they had him in there and you have him as kind of a sounding board. Uh, for strange and then they can see how they diverge because of their internal philosophies and and we don't really know much about his past other than he is dealing with his demons and so yeah that that would be i'd like to hear more about that backstory in this version but um, thought that was interesting we mentioned that this builds off the established mcu pretty well but it also is pretty self-contained like you mentioned about the we don't really need to know anything about the infinity stones um yeah, so I I think it almost would be better off on its own 
in some ways, just for some of the lighter moments that feel a little forced for me. I know I've, I've harped on that a little bit, but I, I just really feel like this is a this is a really good movie that could be a great movie if it was allowed to be. I think the world itself that it, it, that it inhabits is that interesting that it could go in any number of directions without being constrained by having to follow some of these other rules. But I guess that just speaks to the power of the character and also the power of the script uh, as well. So, you know, just for me, I think final thoughts, and I didn't really touch on this is, uh, I, I do really love the film. Um, you know, for any of its weaknesses, I think it makes up for, uh, the sum is greater than its parts is what I'll say. Uh, and not, not that I think, you know, every individual part is weak or anything like that, but I do think the, the whole is quite, quite good. Uh, and I really enjoy it. Um, the crazy action sequences, you know, you, you mentioned the inceptionness of it. Uh, I think it's fantastic. I, I think the way that it is imagined, uh, I think they call it the mirror dimension and, um, you know, the outer space, the, the, the dark dimension and just the kind of craziness of, of that world is imagined and demonstrated through the film brilliantly and i really really just enjoyed that part of it so um it's also got some some you know theme work it's got some character work like it's all it kind of ticks those boxes for things that like i really enjoy in a movie uh all in like one package like as you said it's it's very self-contained so like i just i just really like the movie and you know i was happy to rewatch it one more time yeah, me too i i really did in, enjoy this one i'm very much looking forward to the sequel um, I'm hoping that it's less flippant uh, than this one is. And I know there's some heavy stuff that's going to happen just from what we've seen in the trailers. And clearly that one will not be self-contained. It will be very much wide open. I'm hearing we might hear see more cameos than we saw in Endgame, for instance. So um, that'll definitely be a ride. Um, but we've got a great cast. And you know, I trust Sam Raimi from what we've seen with his Spider-Man work and other things. Army of, even Army of Darkness was was fantastic. So you know, with with a bigger budget and and with an established lore, and of course he's got Kevin Feige looking over his shoulder, makes every, sure everything falls in line. I think that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm very much looking forward to that. And this was a fun rewatch just to kind of refamiliarize myself with with Strange's journey and to just get to spend a little bit more time with that character. So as we close, we just want to say thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook. Email us at readingbetweenreels at gmail.com or use the SpeakPipe app on our website. And if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review on your favorite podcast catcher. We'd love to hear your feedback and it really helps us get the word out about the podcast. And if you haven't yet, please join our Facebook group. It's a safe place to share your thoughts and discuss all things related to movies, even movies we haven't covered. And one last thing, our next episode will be a review of the classic Top Gun Send us an email or voicemail about your favorite moments from Top Gun, and we'll share them on the next episode.